Gopi Janababa Kirivaradami Gopi Janababa Kirivaradami Yasodanandana Brajajanaranjana Ya Sodanandana Brajajanaranjana Yamunatira Manachari Yamunatira Manachari Jaya Vishnupad, Paramahamsa, Parivrajikacharya, Asatara Sadashri Srimad, His Divine Grace, Asi Bhakti Vedanta, Swami Maharaj, Prabhupada Ki Jai. Iskan Founder, Acharya Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Anantakoti Vaishnava Vrinda Ki Jai. Namacharya Srila Haridas Thakur Ki Jai. Thank Shrikaho Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Adwaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai. Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gogopina Shaima Kunda Radha Kunda Giddy Govardhan Ki Jai. Vrindavan Dhamma Ki Jai. Matur Dhamma Ki Jai. Nabhadweet Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai. Jagannath Puri Dhamma Ki Jai. Gangamaya Jamuna Devi Ki Jai. Bhakti Devi Ki Jai. Tulsi Maharani Ki Jai. Samaveta Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai. Gaurapurna. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Varanga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Nima Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prashtaya Bhutale Srimate Bhaktivedanta Swami Niti Namane Namaste Sarasvati Deve Gauravani Pacharana Nirvasesa Sindhavati Paskatyade Satarani. Monday, Hum Shri Guru Shri Uta Padakamalam Shri Guru Vaishnavamscha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raghunatam Vitamstam Sajivam Sadvaitam Sadvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitamscha Vanchakalpatri Vishaki Pasindaviyavatapti Tanam Pavanavio Vaishnavaguna Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om it's November 20th, 2017, a Skype class over Hilo in Hilo, Hawaii. Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 3, Chapter 27, Text 5. Ata eva shanaishchittam Prashaktam asatam pati Bhakti Yogena Tivrena Virakya Chanayad Vasham Atha Eva Therefore Shanai 
Gradually. Chittam. Mind consciousness. This session is Prashaktam. Attached. Asatam. Of material enjoyments. Pati. On the path. Bhakti Yogena. By devotional service. Tivrena. Very serious. Viraktya. Without attachment. Cha. And. Nayet. He must bring. Vasham. Under control. Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. It is the duty of every conditioned soul to engage his polluted consciousness, which is now attached to material enjoyment, in very serious devotional service with detachment. Thus his mind and consciousness will be under full control. Purport The process of liberation is very nicely explained in this verse. The cause of one's becoming conditioned by material nature is him thinking himself the enjoyer, the proprietor, or the friend of all living entities. This false thinking is a result of contemplation on sense enjoyment. When one thinks that he is the best friend to his countrymen, to society, or to humanity, and he engages in various nationalistic, philanthropic, and altruistic activities, all that is just so much concentration on sense gratification. The so-called national leader or humanist does not serve everyone. He serves his senses only. That is a fact. But the conditioned soul cannot understand this because he is bewildered by the spell of material nature. It is therefore recommended in this verse that one engage very seriously in the devotional service of the Lord. This means that one should not think that he is the proprietor, benefactor, friend, or enjoyer. He should always be cognizant that the real enjoyer is Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. That is the basic principle of Bhakti Yoga. One must be fully convinced of these three principles. One should always think that Krishna is the proprietor, Krishna is the enjoyer, and Krishna is the friend. Not only should he understand these principles himself, but he should try to convince others and propagate Krishna consciousness. As soon as one engages in such serious devotional service of the Lord, naturally the propensity to falsely claim lordship over material nature disappears. That detachment is called vairagya. Instead of being absorbed in so-called material lordship, one engages in Krishna consciousness. That is control of consciousness. The yoga process necessitates controlling the senses. Yoga indriya samyamya. Since the senses are always active, their activities should be engaged in devotional service. One cannot stop their activities. If one wants to artificially stop the activities of the senses, his attempt will be a failure. Even the great yogi Vishvamrita, who was trying to control his senses by the yoga process, fell victim to the beauty of menaka. There are many such instances. Unless one's mind and consciousness are fully engaged in devotional service, there is always the opportunity for the mind to become occupied with desires for sense gratification. One particular point mentioned in this verse is very significant. It is said here, prasaktam asatam pati. The mind is always attracted by asat, the temporary material existence. Because we have been associated with material nature since time immemorial, we have become accustomed to our attachment to this temporary material nature. The mind has to be fixed at the eternal lotus feet of the Supreme Lord, Savai Mana Krishna Padara Vindaiho. 
Srimad Bhagavatam 9.4.18. One has to fix the mind at the lotus feet of Krishna, then everything will be very nice. Thus the seriousness of bhakti yoga is stressed in this verse. Ata eva sanaishchitam prasaktam asatam pati bhakti yogena tivrena viraktya cha nayad vasham. It is the duty of every conditioned soul to engage his polluted consciousness, which is now attached to material enjoyment, in very serious devotional service with detachment. Thus his mind and consciousness will be under full control. So, very serious. Tivrena. Very serious. Sharp. Pointed. Serious devotional service. So we hear that. Wow. And detached. Tivrena virakya. Serious and detached devotional service. And we think, okay, I'm not going to smile. I'm not going to have any fun. I'm not going to do anything that's fun. I am just going to be serious. I am going to use my willpower to repress my mind and my senses. I'm going to sit on them like I'm a big fat ogre until they're all repressed and suppressed and dead. And I'm going to be very, very serious. And I think a lot of us do that, you know. I mean, I'm joking about it, but but I think a lot of us do that, actually. Or we try to do it, or we think we should do it, or we aim to do it, or we think other people should do it. If we can't do it ourselves, we feel really guilty about it. And then we deal with our guilt by trying to get heavy with other people, that that's what they're supposed to be doing. In the meantime, we're struggling ourselves with the inability to do that. And then, of course, everything becomes very dry. And we wonder how we're going to go on in Krishna consciousness. I'm going to go to my other mic. We're going to go, we wonder how we're going to go on in Krishna consciousness when everything is so dry. Uh, now, Prabhupada's giving here in this purport a little different definition of seriousness. And if we look carefully at this purport, we'll notice that Prabhupada is talking about Gyan, Karma, and Gyan. Now, of course, we know, jnana karma anavrata, that bhakti yoga should not be covered by jnana karma and dhyan. But jnana karma and dhyan, in a bhakti yoga way, are part of bhakti yoga. In other words, in bhakti yoga, we have philosophy. There are sahajya groups who say that you shouldn't study the scriptures, you know, that that's, that's all just jnana, and you should just, you know... Uh, read the Rasalila chapters all the time. I guess you can read that part of the scriptures. But you shouldn't read things, you know, like Bhagavad Gita. And then you have people who say, well, you shouldn't engage in any kind of action. Uh, you know, all action is entangling. And then you have people who say, well, you shouldn't do any kind of, of meditation. You should just be active. <coughs> and in fact, we have, even among our Hare Krishna devotees, groups like this, groups that say, no, no, you shouldn't meditate. <laughs> Just be active in the mission. And other people who are saying, you shouldn't be active in the mission. You should just sit and meditate. Action in the mission is with neophytes and, and so forth. But here we see that all three, having the proper philosophical frame of mind, having the proper action, and having the proper meditation, make us a serious bhakti yogi. So how to become a serious bhakti yogi? And Kevala Anandakanda, always be in bliss. <laughs> That's actually the sign, uh, we were reading that the other day, in fact, where Prabhupada's saying that you have to be joyful. Right? We were just reading that in the purport. That Prabhupada said, without being joyful, you're not going to make any advancement. 
So seriousness has got to be a joyful seriousness. All right, let's look at, we're going to look first at the Gyan part, the philosophical perspective, then we're going to look at the action part, then we're going to look at the meditation part. So in the philosophical part, Srila Prabhupada goes here straight to Bhagavad Gita 529, which he doesn't mention specifically. He doesn't cite it. He doesn't say, hey, I'm referring to Bhagavad Gita 529. Uh, he doesn't even quote it. He quotes Savaimana Krishna Padaravindayo in the last uh, paragraph referring to Maharaj Ambarish. Uh, he doesn't quote 529, but that's, uh, you know, if you didn't know Bhagavad Gita, you wouldn't know that that's what he was talking about, but that is exactly what he's talking about. He's saying philosophically, our philosophical bent, our intellectual conviction has to be Bhoktaram Yagatapasam Sarvalokameshram Suvadam Sarvabhutanam Gyatramam Shanti Richiti. Krishna is the friend. Ergo, I am not the friend. <laughs> Krishna is the proprietor, ergo, I am not the proprietor. Krishna is the enjoyer of all sacrifices, ergo, I am not the enjoyer of all sacrifices. So these things go together. Krishna is, I am not. So let's go through these one at a time. Prabhupada talks first of all about, I am the friend. So it's very tempting to think that I am the friend. I'm in the middle right now of trying, trying to do a mediation, a long distance, between some devotees who are fighting. And the, the initial result is that all of the pent-up frustrations of these devotees that they've had for years and years is coming to the surface, and it's kind of ugly. And, and I can think, you know... Well, I'm being the friend. I'm being the mediator. I'm fixing this. Right? Or I'm here helping to take care of my three uh, oldest grandsons and trying to uh, take care of the house for my children. And I can be thinking, I am the friend. I am serving my family as their friend. You know? and I'm getting ready to present something to the GBC, and I can be thinking, I am the friend of the GBC. You know, I mean, in, in so many ways. You know, I, one could be working at a hospital thinking, I am the friend of the patients. I am their well-wisher. I am their benefactor. We think like this. I am the benefactor of my family. I am the benefactor of the customers or the clients. I'm the benefactor of my employers, I am the benefactor of my co-workers, I am the benefactor of my guru, I am the benefactor of God, I mean I'm helping God, poor guy, you know, he doesn't seem to be able to get it together and I'm, I'm helping him out, <laughs> I'm doing his work in the world and, and really doing a great, a great service for him right, giving him something that he needs and, and so forth and you know, I am the one who is making other people happy I am the one who's facilitating other people's desires. Yes, it is me. I have cooked a nice meal for you. I have cleaned your house. I have earned the money for you. I have, and so on and so forth. Therefore, I am a good and important person. Yes, I am a valuable person. Therefore, I feel good about myself. Now, if we look at this logically and rationally, we'll understand that we do not have the ability to befriend anybody on the material level. That everybody is only getting the results of their own actions. 
And if I had the ability to do good to people beyond what they deserved, then I would be able to surmount the laws of nature and be God. And if I could do good to people beyond what they deserved, I, I could also do bad to people beyond what they deserve, and that certainly wouldn't be fair. And it can't only work one way. It can't be that I can't harm you beyond what you deserve, but I can help you beyond what you deserve. <laughs> That's not rational or logical. So at most, I can be the agent for your karma, good or bad. I really, the only person I'm hurting or helping is myself. Because if I do bad for you, then I suffer. If I do good for you, then I enjoy. And ultimately, I'm not even doing anything bad or good for myself because I, the spirit soul, am not really touched by matter. I'm simply imagining that I'm in this law of karma, so I'm not even really doing anything ultimately good for myself. So it's, it's a joke. And we even see that, you know, sometimes you really mess up, you know, and there's no, there's no effect. You, know, you, do, you make a terrible mistake, and, and there's no, nothing happens. And sometimes you do something really wonderful, and there's no good effect. Right? I had somebody kind of crying to me the other day that, you know, we're working so hard for so many years to do this wonderful thing, and, you know, we hardly accomplish anything. It's all just a farce. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> welcome to the world. You know, right, right now in, in U.S. politics, the, our current president is trying as hard as he can to undo all of the work of the previous president. I mean, you know, think about it. So, you know, he had a president of the United States for eight years, and how much blood, sweat, and tears did he do to try to be the friend of the country, according to his own estimation? Pass so many laws and make so many proclamations and do so many good things for the country, and then the next guy comes in and undoes everything. And the next guy will come in and undo everything again. And this kind of thing happens in families. You know, the parents, the first generation will be really religious, and then the, the children in rebellion become atheists, and the grandchildren in rebellion become really religious. It's, it's actually quite a common phenomenon in sociology. So what, you know, what is it that we're actually doing? How can we be someone's friend? How can we protect someone? I'll always be there for you. I'll always protect you. But we can't. We can't. I mean, how many people are traumatized when they see their loved one get sick or hurt right in front of them and there's nothing they can do? So we get free of this, this impossible anxiety of my trying to be everyone's friend by acknowledging that Krishna is the friend. That Krishna is the friend. He is the, actually the well-wisher of everyone. Only Krishna knows, first of all, what everybody wants and what everybody needs. I don't really know. You know, Christmas is coming up, people are trying to buy the perfect gifts. You know, so many people are disappointed with their gifts. But Krishna knows. He knows what everybody wants, he knows what everybody needs. Krishna is riding on the yantra, the machine, with everyone. He knows. And he's doing everything that Krishna does is for everyone's highest good. Krishna has no envy, he has no illusion, and he is actually able to give everyone everything perfectly. So what about my desire to be the friend? Do I just have to like forget about that? No. I can be a friend by cooperating with Krishna. I can be Krishna's agent. Instead of acting on my own, I act as Krishna's agent. Here, let me give you, let me be the vehicle, let me be the conduit for you to experience Krishna's friendship then I can do actually good for others.
beyond the law of karma. I can be the agent of causeless mercy. I can be the agent of good for others, which they did not deserve. Uh, which they did not deserve in the sense that you can't work for it karmically, and they did not deserve in the sense that they already have it. Uh, bhakti is already within the heart of every living entity. So by being a, an agent of Krishna and assisting him like that, then I can become the friend of everyone, and ironically, or surprisingly perhaps, then I actually do become Krishna's friend. It's one of the nine items of devotional service. Okay, so the proprietor. So how I, you know, I want to think I'm the proprietor. This is my furniture. This is these are my clothes. This is my these are my electronic equipment. This is my electronic equipment. You know, this is my family. This is my country. This is my dog. This is my job. This is my service. <laughs> and you know, this is my intelligence. This is my knowledge. Um, whatever. And we see the absurdity of this, that any of these things can be removed and do get removed in a moment, regardless of our protests. Uh, our money, our possessions, our family, our friends, our reputation, our body, our mind, our remembrance, our talents, you know, our opulences, they all get removed in a moment, no matter how much we protest. It, it just does, it doesn't matter how much we protest. It doesn't matter how much, you know, one devotee saying, oh, I got, I got to get all my money out of investments because the market's going to crash in six months. Oh, I'm going to lose everything. It's like, you know, you're going to lose everything anyway. As Bali Mara said to Vaman Dave, why not give you now everything I will lose at death anyway? So how am I the proprietor? You know, we talk about how uh, the government in every country has what's called eminent domain. So the government can take your property at any time. Ultimately, your property is the government's. And Krishna is the ultimate eminent, do eminent domain person. He can certainly take our property at any time. Uh, everything. So Krishna is actually the proprietor. He's actually the owner. And the way that we can have some joy of ownership is as a steward, <coughs> as a as a caretaker. You know, in the Bible it says that the humans have dominion, but that dominion is as a caretaker. It's, it's like if you're the servant of a wealthy man and you're caring for that wealthy person's garden. So everything we have is like that. We're supposed to take care of it to please Krishna. So it's not, you know, my, my car is my car in the sense that I, I have the right to smash it. No, it's my car in the sense that I'm taking care of it for Krishna. Now, this fact is not understood in the, in the modern day in terms of my body. Now, there's a lot of propaganda in the modern day that this is my body. I can do with my body as I want. And as long as I'm not being coerced, as long as I'm freely choosing to use my body in the way that I'm using it, then that's moral. And if I'm engaging in some activity with another person in their body, as long as both of us agree with how we're using our bodies then that is morality. And they take it to the point even that the, you know, the embryo and the fetus in the womb, well, that embryo is within my body at present, therefore, because I am the proprietor of my body, I have the right to kill that child. Uh, but this is ridiculous. Who, who can say it's my body? 
Imara Yudhisthira talks about this. I always say it's my body. My body was produced by my parents. My body belongs to my parents, to my mother who nourished it in the womb, who practically speaking created it in the womb, to my parents who earned the money to nourish my body as it was growing up and basically allowed it to become what it is today, to the government who provides the materials for the body, to my employers. Uh, those people really own, own my body. And ultimately, of course, my body will belong to the fire, to the microbes, to the animals, or whatever that will eat it. It's ridiculous. Uh, this is my body. I can do with it as I like. I'm the enjoyer. Uh, so... Krishna is meant to be the enjoyer. You know, generally I do sacrifices and austerities for my pleasure. I work hard so I can get the money and spend it on what I want. I sacrifice my own time and my own energy for my family with the idea that then I will enjoy the pleasure of the relationships in the family. And we see how frustrated people get with this, you know, the husband, wife, children, they work really hard for the family and the other family members don't even acknowledge it and they don't even thank them and, and they think, well, what did I work for? What was the point? And then they get disappointed. We work hard for an employer and then the employer doesn't appreciate. And you see this even among devotees. You know, well, I worked really hard for my guru. I sacrificed really hard for my guru and my guru isn't saying good boy, good girl. You know, and I'm dealing with a situation with, like this right now. Where some disciples are, you know, oh, I've served the guru, I've served the guru, and he's not actually pleased with any of them. And so they're all fried. Uh, so, you know, that I am the enjoyer. But no, how am I the enjoyer? As soon as I try to be the enjoyer, again, I'm frustrated. I, I will tell you frankly that no matter how much I've sacrificed for my family, they don't always treat me the way that I want. I don't always enjoy my family, no matter how much I sacrifice for them. No matter how hard I work, I may be poor. You know, right right now here in Hawaii, I'm really trying to improve my health. And <laughs> it's kind of funny, you know, I'm spending a lot of time and energy, thankfully not a lot of money, but I'm spending a lot of time and energy taking care of my health here. And uh, it's not really getting better. <laughs> and, and this is the, the thing, you know, we, we do the, all this sacrifice and this, this trouble for some fruit, for some enjoyment, thinking I have the right to enjoy the fruit, and when we don't enjoy the fruit, we become angry, we become frustrated. Uh, if I were really the enjoyer, then I would be able to guarantee I would get the fruit, and I would actually enjoy it. And sometimes you do get the fruit, and then you get it, and you're like, gosh, what did I work for this for? It's not even enjoyable. You know, somebody works really hard to attract a particular a romantic partner, and then when they actually live with that romantic partner, they're like, why did I want to get you? You're not even very interesting. I don't even like you. You know, people work really hard to get a particular career, and they get into that career, and then they're like, I don't even like this career. Why did I work for it? So instead we should understand that Krishna is the enjoyer. Now, this one particularly, I mean, Krishna is the friend, Krishna is the proprietor, we can kind of, you know, all right, all right, I'll accept that. But Krishna is the enjoyer. is really hard. Because we tend to think of, you know, if some big overlord is the enjoyer, then that means that I'm in an exploitive situation. You know, I'm, I'm working really hard for a, a company, and, and the, the boss enjoys everything. Right? This is the, the epitome of exploitation. 
people sacrifice for the government and the government enjoys everything. And the citizens don't enjoy anything. The employees don't enjoy anything. And everybody's working hard for the, the head of the family and the family members are all like, like sla- it's like slavery, you know. You're just going to get some bare minimum maintenance and all your hard work goes to the head. And uh, In fact, people do um, use this principle of God as the enjoyer to exploit other people uh, in religions. We do find it. We do find uh, pseudo-religious leaders who exploit their followers in the name of God being the enjoyer. But the reason that this is not exploitive is that we are part of God. We are part of Him. It's, it's the same as if the stomach says to the hand, I am the enjoyer of foodstuff. And if the hand says to the stomach, oh, you're, you're exploiting me. If the, <laughs> The hand will say, look, I planted the crops, I watered the crops, I weeded the crops, I harvested the crops, I cut up the vegetables, I cooked the vegetables. The hands say, you know, I did everything. And then I just have to give everything to the stomach. And what did the stomach do? The stomach didn't do any of that. The stomach is just sitting around enjoying while I'm doing all the work. But that's ridiculous. The hand is part of the body and the stomach is nourishing the hand. The stomach is doing all the work in order to nourish the hand, not just for its own sake. Krishna is the super soul. What does that mean? He is the, the param atma. He is the super self. He is the self of the self. This, this is very nicely explained in the end of the story of the Brahma stealing the boys and calves, Brahma Vimohan Lila. So when we acknowledge Krishna is the enjoyer, then we enjoy the ecstasy and the enjoyment of those who acknowledge Krishna as the enjoyer is beyond description. It's actually unlimited. I often say how Bhakti Santa comments on Anandam Bhudivardhanam and the Shikshastaka, saying that although the jiva is finite, the jiva has unlimited enjoyment through Krishna. Just hearing that also in the Nectar Devotion Lecture, Prabhupada saying we are meant to enjoy through Krishna, like the hand is meant to enjoy through the stomach. And indeed, we have some concept of this even in materialistic life. That by making my family happy, I will enjoy. By making my country happy, I will enjoy. By making my employer happy, I will enjoy. That we're going to enjoy through a whole. And even materially speaking, we're happier when we do that than when we just try to please ourselves directly, totally selfishly. So in that way, we see that Krishna is the enjoyer. My happiness is in his happiness. And such is, in fact the definition of love. That's what love means. Love means when I see the person that I love uh, being happy. I feel happy at their happiness. You know, I, I see my child or my spouse or whoever, someone I love, getting glorified. And then I, oh, I feel so happy. I, I'm at the back of the auditorium. Nobody's noticing me, <laughs> you know. I'm just running around taking care of the event and the person I love is on stage and they're getting all the... and I'm feeling so happy. You know, the parents who are happy to see their child graduate from school or get married or whatever. So we we have some idea of this. Uh, This is love. And the opposite of love is, you know, I take from you for my happiness. My happiness is that you are distressed. So this is the... Uh, jnana part, we could say, the philosophical part of serious bhakti. The philosophical part of serious bhakti 
is only Krishna is the friend, I become the friend by being his agent. Only Krishna is the proprietor, my proprietorship is, that it is as a steward and a caretaker. Only Krishna is the enjoyer, my enjoyment is by making Krishna happy and going through him. So this is the philosophical bent. This is the way that intellectually we should be thinking if we want to be serious bhaktas. And if we're not thinking in these ways, if we start thinking that I'm the friend, we start thinking I'm the proprietor, we start thinking I'm the enjoyer, then we are not going to engage in serious bhakti and we're not going to get out of maya. All right, is that all that we do? Well, no, then we also have action. So Srila Prabhupada next talks about action. So he talks about a yoga, a yoga controlling the senses, and that uh, one may think then that one should be inactive, but that our senses are always active, that our senses are active by nature. And he says that instead of trying to stop the activities of the senses, you know, there's in Jnana Yoga, there's the stage of Prachidhara, where one stops the activities of the senses, almost like in deep sleep. One And we, we find this, that in the Bhagavatam, the yogis who are engaged in Jnana Yoga, they become unaware of the external world. That's why when Maharaj Brikit entered into the hut of Samakarishi, Samakarishi didn't hear him. He didn't hear him, he didn't see him, he was unaware of his presence. So the senses become inactive, they become withdrawn. And, and Krishna talks about this, about how the turtle withdraws his senses. But bhakti, in bhakti yoga, to be a serious bhakti yogi, one is meant to engage one's senses in active service. And Prabhupada gives the example he gives here many times, how Vishramrita fell victim to the beauty of Menaka. So even though Vishramrita was in this state, somehow he was, he was able to hear the, jewel, the jewelry of Menaka. So we know that in normal sleep, that we normally we don't hear or see or taste or touch, or, you know, we, don't, we don't have any sense awareness when we are sleeping. Uh, just like here in Hawaii, we have these uh, koki frogs, and all night they go, koki, 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 koki. <laughs> we had some, some guests staying here, and they were saying, we were disturbed by all the jungle sounds at night. <laughs> so they're making all these noises. But once you're, you're accustomed to them, when you sleep, you don't hear them at all. You're not aware of them. And yet, it is sound, is the one sense that generally is used to rouse people from sleep. So even though in our sleep we are unaware, uh, generally it is, of course, we can be woken up by a smell and by a touch, but generally we're woken up by sound. So the yogis in deep meditation uh, can sometimes be pulled out of it by sound. Uh, after all, Shamakarisi's son finally got his father out of the trance by making loud sounds for a long period of time. And Menika did with, the, with her ankle bells. So the problem is when the yogis restrain their senses in an artificial way, they can be carried away still by the senses, and Krishna makes this point that even one of the senses on which a man of intelligence focuses can carry away their intelligence. Uh, so that is possible, and we find that, I think we've all found in our own life that any kind of artificial, willful repression of the senses is temporary at best. And often when the senses exert themselves again, it's often even with more power than they did in the first place. You know, it's something like a person who's 
you know, they diet during the week and then they binge on the, on the weekend. But actively engaging our senses, giving our senses things to do in Krishna service. And with the same, you know, kind of enthusiasm that people work in the world to make great plans for Krishna's service and to get angry at, the, at those who blaspheme the devotees, even those sort of things. You know, to be greedy for the number of books distributed. I mean, even, even those things. We can use our senses, but... If we engage our senses in active service and we forget that Krishna is the friend, the proprietor, and the enjoyer, then we'll again be acting like the ordinary karmis. Maybe like a pious karmi. And we see this all the time. We see that if devotees don't start out with Krishna as the friend and the proprietor and the enjoyer, and they engage their active senses in service, then they simply uh, serve Krishna with the same mentality that they're trying to enjoy the world. We see it over and over and over. I just bring in the, the same mistaken philosophical concept. So one has to start with the right understanding. And then finally, Prabhupada talks here about dhyan, meditation. So it's not just a philosophical understanding. That's not enough. If I just understand, you know, philosophically, Krishna's the friend, the proprietor, and the enjoyer, and then I do my activities... Okay, so what does that look like if I don't add the dhyan part? So let's say, you know, I'm distributing books and I'm thinking, you know, I can't really help these people, only Krishna can help them. I'm just the instrument of Krishna's love. Krishna really owns the books, Krishna really owns this person, Krishna really owns the money, I'm going to take care of it nicely in his service. And I think Krishna's the one who's meant to enjoy. When somebody is happy by taking a book, I feel happy at Krishna's happiness. So that seems like that's all that's required, right? Well, you know, up to a point that, that that's true. Up to a point that's true. But we want to awaken our relationship with Krishna in a very personal and individual way. That's what we want to do. That's our goal. That's our prayojana. We want to, to reawaken, to revive, as Prabhupada will say, our original relationship with Krishna. We have some relationship with Krishna, whether previously that was active relationship or a dormant relationship. People are welcome to debate that. Uh, I, I think it's irrelevant. But we do have an original relationship with Krishna. Our original position, our original consciousness is not uh, as a non-relationship. We are a person. You see, if I just think Krishna's the friend, Krishna's the proprietor, Krishna's the enjoyer, and I act in that way, I can still have the mentality that I am my identity in this world. Now, I might have that as I am Urmila Devi Dasi, member of ISKCON, so it may be a little bit better than I am Dr. Edith Best, you know, child of the Manischewitz family. <laughs> so, you know, it may be a, a better thing, but it's still not my eternal identity. And, and I can think, you know, I'm Krishna Das, I'm Krishna Dasi, member of this particular religious organization on this planet at this time, and have the Krishna's, Krishna as the ultimate friend, enjoyer, and proprietor, and I'm actively using my senses in his service. I, I, and I can maintain that identity. But that's, so that, but that's not the ultimate. 
that's not the ultimate. I mean, what happens if one does that? Let's say that at the end of life, I'm still thinking in terms of my material identity. I'm still thinking I'm so-and-so's son and daughter and husband and wife, and, and I have this, you know, identifying with my position in this world, even though I'm thinking Krishna is the enjoyer, proprietor, and friend, and I'm actively working in his service. Well, I, I'm not going to be able to attain to my position because I haven't been meditating on it. It hasn't been what I've been going for. And the other thing is, it's, practically speaking, it's hard to maintain that. Because if I'm just thinking Krishna's the friend, the proprietor, and the enjoyer, and being active in this world, and I'm not working on awakening my own actual identity, it's going to be hard to keep thinking that I'm not the friend, the proprietor, the enjoyer. It's going to be a little difficult. You know, as long as I have my mundane identity, then I'm, I'm going to tend, my philosophy is going to tend to go back in that direction. As long as I think I'm this person's mother... You know, I might think, okay, I'm this person's mother as a service. Actually, they're, they're Krishna's. They're not really my child. It's really Krishna's person. I'm not really their friend. Krishna's really their friend. I'm not meant to enjoy them. Krishna's really meant to enjoy them. But I'm their mother. That's my identity. It's going to be hard to keep those two things simultaneously. If I'm your mother, then I must be meant to enjoy you friend of mine showed me some research of women who regret having had children. And one of the causes for regret is, well, the children weren't really that enjoyable. That, you know, it wasn't that their smiles were worth all the sacrifice. You know, I'm thinking, yeah, you know, nobody in this world is really that enjoyable. So I have to get out of this mood that I am this person's mother or I am this person's, you know, anything. I've got to. I've got to have a different identity. And therefore, Prabhupada ends this purport with one should always be meditating on Krishna's lotus feet. Well, what will that do? If I'm meditating on the person Krishna, then that will revive my relationship. How will that work? Well, Krishna's form, everything about Krishna, is a stimulus for, for rasa. It's a stimulus for ecstatic love. So if I'm meditating on Krishna, the person, and doing those other things, if I'm meditating on Krishna's person as a person with the right philosophical frame of mind, being active in his service, all three of those together, my natural relationship with Krishna at some point will awaken. And my identity then will start to change. It's only when my identity becomes what it really is that those other things can be solid. Uh, therefore, we are generally told that the awakening of our eternal identity usually happens in the later stages of anartanavritti, which leads to nishta, or steadiness. So if I want to be steady in my philosophical outlook, and I want to be steady in using my senses in Krishna's service, I must come to this platform of meditation also. Now, in the process of bhakti yoga given to us by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu through Rupa Goswami and Sanatana Goswami, and of course in the modern age by persons like Bhakti Vinoba, Bhakti Siddhanta, and Srila Prabhupada, as Prabhupada explained so nicely in this purport, combine all of these that we're hitting from the platform of our meditation, which is really uh, our emotion, our philosophy, which is our mind and intellect, and our senses, which is our body. If we do all that, then we are serious bhaktas.
That's what makes us serious bhaktas. The fact that we're able to uh, follow the four regulative principles and chant 16 rounds out of an act of will is certainly laudable, but does not in and of itself make us serious bhaktas. That's not how seriousness in bhakti is being defined here. Of course, sometimes Prabhupada will say, all you have to do is just follow this. Uh, because if you do that rightly, if you chant 16 rounds rightly, the, all these other things will follow. You know, you, you, There's many places where you just do this one thing, everything else will, will come. That's, that's a fact. But here is the complete picture of the serious bhakta. So we have some time for questions, comments, additions, subtractions, etc. Just a moment, Dr. Perry. I'm still I'm struggling a little bit. Please move yourself. I don't have a concern. Yeah. I don't have to wait for you. Yes, Prabhu? I'm struggling a little bit with the concept that only Krishna's the friend, that we're not the friend. Um, or maybe it's just a, maybe that's one angle of vision that Prabhupada took and you were supporting. But it, it just seems that in my, in my career as a devotee, there's a small handful of God brothers, God sisters that were truly, I really feel that they were my, my friends. They were there for me. They supported me when I needed help. And I, and I feel kind of transcendentally so indebted, appreciative to them for helping to make me a devotee. Um, and and I always, I'm always preaching how important it is for us as preachers to not simply preach the philosophy, but to become friends with people, become, you know, put our arm around them, uh, take them under our wing, because that really sort of attracts their heart and, and facilitates their advancement in spiritual life. So just like Kunti, she prayed, please sever my tie of attachment. And Prabhupada says, seeing in the darkness is not seeing, but seeing in the light is seeing. He said, the real relationship is soul to soul via the super soul. So when it's soul to soul via the super soul, then that is real friendship. But as long as it's independent from Krishna, it's not real friendship. And the difference may be subtle, but it's it's palpable, it's, it's tangible, you can experience it. If we try to be a friend to somebody independently, we are cheating them and ourselves, and we will not always be there for them. And if we think devotees can be friends independently, we will also be disappointed. I mean, if, I, if I've ever thought that some devotee is my friend on their own accord, sooner or later I become disappointed. Because that person is not able to be there for me in all circumstances the way I need them. They're just not. They don't have that capability. They may desire to, but they may not be able to. I mean, just recently, the, a very young devotee left her body in Vrindavan, and I'm very close with the whole family. Uh, my grandkids and I have stayed at their home. I mean, I've known them very well for many, many years. But, you know, here I am in Hawaii, and there they are in, in Govardhan. What can I do for them? How can I be there for them? I mean, fortunately, my daughter and son-in-law are there, and so I, I wrote something which my daughter read at the memorial, so I was able to give, but what can I really do for them? How can I, you know, what can I do for them? I'd like to be there for them, but I can't. I'm not able to be there for them. So to what extent am I a friend? And sometimes 
sometimes I try to do things that, you know, they help people that they say they want, and I work really hard to try to make them happy, and the result is that they're simply unhappy. It happens, and it happens the other way too. There are people who genuinely try to make me happy and make me unhappy. So in what sense can another jiva be my friend? It's just not possible. But we can be a friend in this sense, that we help connect people with Krishna. And that's real friendship. So that goes on in the spiritual world. I mean, Radharani has her friends, and they're friends with each other. Lalita and Vishaka are friends with each other, and Chitra and, you know, Sudevi, they're friends with each other. Subal and, you know... Ujwala are friends with each other. The cowherd boys are not just friends with Krishna or just friends with Balaram. They're also friends with each other. Madhya Soda and Nandamaraj, they, they love each other. Yasoda and Rohini, they love each other. But it's all soul to soul via the super soul. It's all devotees through, you know, my right hand can be friends with my left hand because they're both connected with my body. My right hand cannot be a friend of my, of my left hand if it's severed from my body. It's just not possible. But as soon as my right hand is connected with my body, it can be a friend of my feet and my head. And, you know, I'm just now using my left hand to scratch my head. So my left hand is the friend of my head. But only because it's all connected. So we should be very careful. <coughs> I see in, in among devotees that as soon as we think, this person is my friend, separate from Krishna, we are setting ourselves up for disappointment and bitterness. And I see this between disciples and guru. You know, also, I'm dealing with a case like that right now. You know, we're... My, my Guru Dave is taking that my godbrother's side. My Guru Dave should be taking my side. Why is my Guru Dave not supporting me in this? My Guru Dave is supposed to be my friend. <laughs> you know, why isn't he being my friend? I don't want to serve him anymore. Now I'm just bitter and disappointed and I'm just going to leave. And You know, or the other way, I've worked so hard for the society, I work so hard for these people and they're not treating me with respect and they're not even acknowledging what I've done and why should I bother being their friend? So we have to be extremely, extremely careful that in my friendship with others and others' friendship with me, that it's always soul to soul via... Super if we do that, then it's real friendship. Then you have, you know, Ramachandra, Sange, Tamadas. I always want to be in the company of my friend Ramachandra. And, and then you see that, wow, this is real friendship. Wow. <laughs> you know, when you're with devotees and you're helping each other to remember Krishna and you're helping each other to fall in love with Krishna... You know, not just that, well, here's somebody who gives me a ride when my car breaks down, and here's somebody who, you know, gives me some money when I'm poor, and here's somebody who listens to my sad tales and cries with me, but, you know, or here's somebody who enjoys swimming with me or whatever, but here's somebody we can talk to about Krishna. I mean, I had this amazing experience many years ago. I wanted to vote. There was a, a class I given in the temple room, by one senior devotee who was saying that uh, when women are raped or beaten that it's that they're bringing it on themselves that it's the fault of the women and 
I had a, a friend was sitting in the class with me, and this friend is someone who was terribly uh, sexually abused uh, during her whole childhood and raped several times as an adult. I mean, just gone through horrific situations, and, and she was just completely upset. I uh, just completely, completely upset with this with this class. So, uh, you know, afterwards, I, I have some training and certification in, in counseling therapy, and she asked me to help her, so I was do, trying to do that. I was trying to be her friend, you know, and be the counselor and be the therapist, and and we were getting nowhere. I was using all the, not all, but I was using, you know, some of the techniques and, and uh, we call them interventions that I had been trained in. And it just wasn't doing any good. And, and then we just, you know, we just started talking about Krishna. I started talking about the Govardhan Leela and how Indra is a devotee, but yet Indra was attacking the other devotees. And Indra was causing harm to the devotees and comparing this to the, the speaker who had said these terrible things that was causing pain to the devotees and how the residents of Vrindavan were feeling that, you know, that how Mother Yasoda particularly was feeling, that she was feeling that she wanted to protect Krishna, that, oh, you know, why is this Indra hurting Krishna? And we just started talking about the Govardhan Lila and the feelings of the residents of Vrindavan. And the whole conversation was so transporting that we actually forgot that we were our identities in this world, and we forgot everything of the world. I mean, it was just an absolutely amazing experience, and all of her anguish uh, dissipated. So uh, it was, to me, a very good example that when I was trying to be the friend on my own accord, I was unsuccessful. And as soon as I tried to be the conduit for Krishna, then we immediately had this really deep bond of friendship. I can, I can still remember that day very clearly. And afterwards, we were walking to breakfast, and we just looked at each other and said, you know, we're not this body. We have nothing to do with this, with this world. Okay, so Ramananda's writing here. In regard to our inability to be the enjoyer, proprietor, and friend, he gave example of not being able to satisfy anyone's desire, including our own. Question, when we try to enjoy matter, is the desire our own or simply a reaction of the three modes we are misidentifying as our own? For example, I feel hungry and run to satisfy the need of the body. Is that my desire or only the body? It is only the body that I am identifying with. Um, is there not only one desire to either try to enjoy ourself or to serve the super self? Is that too simplistic? Um, it, it's, it's not too simplistic, but at the same time, you know, when I desire to enjoy myself, I come, the only way I can enjoy myself is to be an illusion. I mean, the only way my hand could enjoy separately from the body and still be alive is to be an illusion, because as soon as my hand would be actually separated from the body, it would lose all capacity for enjoyment. So my hand cannot be separated from the body. It would, it would die. But it could imagine it was separate from the body. So as soon as I want to enjoy separately from Krishna, I have to imagine that I'm separate from Krishna, and the means of that imagination is the three modes of material nature. Now, I have some choices to what mode of nature that I associate with, what combination of the modes of nature I associate with. Just like a person going to a big uh, cinemaplex, they can choose, do I see the romance movie, do I see the documentary, or, or do I see the, you know, shoot 'em up movie or the horror movie. So they can choose what movie. We can also choose what, what movie. But just like the person watching the movie, they choose what movie they want to watch, but then the movie is manipulating their desires. So they actually get desires of the character. The character in the movie 
wants to stop the bank robber, so the moviegoer wants to stop the bank ro- robber. And if they're watching a movie where the, the heroes are thieves, <laughs> and the people in the movie want to rob a bank, then the person watching the movie also wants to rob the bank. So as we associate with the modes of material nature, the modes of material nature weave a story for us out of our karma, and we then associate ourselves with that story, and we have the desires of the characters in that story, which is our particular body and mind. So there's, there's great variety. Once we want to enjoy the self, there's, practically speaking, infinite variety, 8,400,000 species. Within each species, there's an infinite variety of individuals with an infinite variety of stories of how we can try to be the enjoyer. If I want to please Krishna, there's also an infinite variety of ways that I can please Krishna. There, uh, instead of associating with Mahamaya, I'm associating with Yogamaya. And I've got, you know, the five primary rasas, the seven secondary rasas, all the ways that they combine, and me as an individual wanting to please Krishna in a particular way. I might want to please Krishna by collecting flowers. I may want to please Krishna by collecting herbs. I may want to please Krishna by joking. I may want to please Krishna by quietly serving. I may want to please Krishna by dancing. I mean, there's so many ways that I can want to please Krishna, far, far more ways than I can want to please myself in illusion. Okay, last question. Then the meditation upon Krishna's lotus feet is blended with the service or exchanges that are being performed simultaneously. Yes, exactly. Exactly. They are all blended. Our philosophical bent of Krishna is the enjoyer, proprietor, and friend, the only enjoyer, proprietor, and friend, the actions of being engaged, our, our, our active senses, which is very easy, which Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's preaching mission, and the meditation on Krishna's form. You, you see this if you go to any ordinary office. People have photographs of their family members, their dear ones, on their desk. Yes, it's very common. So they're working in their office, they're actively engaged in the service of their company, they have a mood, they have some sort of philosophical mood according to the uh, goal and vision of the company, or they're supposed to, they're supposed to have imbibed the vision and mission statement of the company. So they have the mindset of the company, they are working for the company, and they're meditating on their family members for whom they are ultimately working. And that is going on simultaneously. They're, they're having a meeting with you in their office and they're looking at the picture of their family members. They're remembering their family members. So that needs to be there. Uh, just like there's the famous story of the uh, several people laying bricks. You know, and you go to the first man, what are you doing? You know, I'm, I'm putting one brick on top of another. Second person, what are you doing? You know, I'm, I'm building a, a beautiful building. Third person, what are you doing? I, I'm, I'm building a, a temple where people will come and serve the Lord. So this, there's, uh, what we're meditating on is also, uh, it also should be simultaneous. I need to go. Thank you very much. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai.